0: Hey, what's up? This is Jack Inslee, host of Full Service Radio. You're listening to
1: Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this show,
0: visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
1: This is Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, repairing, and eating food here on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Wides, your host. So if you're over, I don't know, 35, maybe 40, probably closer to 40, you'll probably remember either fondly or with a deep shudder the dawning of the designer jeans era. Remember those? It started like in the mid 70s during like the peak disco days, the peaking of the disco days with brands like Sasson, Sassoon. And then along came Jordache and Calvin Klein and Gloria Vanderbilt. You remember all those designer jeans, yeah? They kind of stuck around right up until the early 80s until like that kind of switch over back to Levi's. But until then, up until the designer jeans era, the The jeans that were sold in stores were basically either Levi's, which had been around since the 1860s, or Lee's or Wrangler's, which were kind of like the crappy choice, or, and I can't even say this without cringing and closing my eyes and sort of clenching my stomach, or Toughskins. Toughskins. Toughskins were the Sears Store brand of kids' jeans, yeah, the Sears store it wasn't bad enough you shopped at Sears, but you had to wear the Sears store brand and they were made of some weird poly cotton blend, like they weren't even hundred percent cotton denim, they were some weird blend, so they like never really wore out, and they were available in all these really ugly kind of late seventies colors, but the worst part of it all the worst the part that that makes me literally want to throw up right here in the studio and not from the smell of fermented shark from the previous show. Thanks, Dave Arnold. Not that smell. But what makes me want to puke right here is that tough came in what they called husky sizes, a.k.a. fat kid size. Now, most kids weren't fat back then, unlike today, where now it sort of seems like fat is the new normal It's like you look at a classroom full of kids and you go, oh, look, that kid's not fat because I feel like all kids are kind of fat now. But back then it was somewhat unusual to be the chubby kid. And we chubby kids, we were doomed to wear tough skins because at least according to my mother, who was known to lie to me to save money. According to her, Levi's, Lee, etc., they didn't come in my size, which was such a load of crap and such a lie. And also, she was an excellent seamstress, and she could have just tailored a bigger size to fit my kind of weird short round body. But instead, I had to wear the tough skins, and I had to endure the social stigma that came along with them in my jappy neighborhood on Long Island, where all the skinny girls were already wearing their little Jordache jeans, if not Levi's. Not bitter. Luckily, the Gap came along. The Gap came along in the 70s, too, and they sold Levi's, and they also sold their own brand of jeans, Gap brand, in something that they called student size. So it wasn't like skinny little girl size, and it wasn't like adult size it was sort of like a teenage boy size and somehow the student size fit me and I somehow convinced my tightwad parents to spring for a single pair of gap jeans which were at least dark blue denim and 100 cotton and styled like the pricier jeans on the market so I rocked my gap jeans with my rainbow suspenders thank you Robin Williams and my t-shirt with the iron-on cat picture and my name on it in cartoonish puffy letters Which, by the way, was a gift for my grandparents, because my parents would have never spent money on that. Now, I finally did get myself into a pair of Calvins a few years later by saving up my allowance and my babysitting money. But by then, the whole craze had kind of blown over anyway, and they weren't exciting anymore. And the new craze was the early 80s new wave, no-name, pencil-leg look in jeans that I embraced. I loved that, I loved the early 80s new wave look because also by then I really wasn't a fat kid anymore, having finally discovered exercise and semi-starvation. Because playing the violin and reading Little House on the Prairie books and making tiny dollhouse food all afternoon, turns out doesn't really burn many calories, but nobody told me that. Mm, Had to figure that one out on my own. So where am I going with all of this? other than down a deep, deep spiral of self-pity that now I combat by buying myself $200 sweaters. Well, I'm going two places. The first one is that my mother was absolutely appalled and horrified at the idea back then of a pair of jeans or any other pair of pants costing more than $20 in 1980 because that's what they were, those designer jeans. They were $20, but the tough skins were like 10 or nine, and even a pair of Levi's was like 16. She, at the time, was in her mid-40s. And in her mind, things should still have cost what they had cost 20 or 30 years previously to that. And it drove me mad with rage that she couldn't adjust her thinking to the current era's pricing. And I used to scream at her, but that's what things cost now. It isn't the 50s. I remember sitting in the car in a shopping center parking lot waiting for somebody. And a local pizzeria had a neon sign that kept flashing. Pizza, 40 cents a slice. Pizza, 40 cents a slice. And listening to her outraged indignation about that price. 40 cents a slice? Are they kidding me? For pizza? That's crazy. That's the first place I'm going with this. Because what's that little plinking sound I hear as I am now in my mid 40s and the same age she was back then that little plinking soft tapping noise tap 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 oh it's the sound of acorns falling from the tree as in acorns not falling far from the tree although with me it isn't clothing prices i understand those i mean they're ridiculous but you know that's what old navy's for it's food prices I can't believe how much food is costing these days, even though it's part of my professional job to explain how expensive it is and to produce quality non-junk real food. I am the apologist for the expensive prices in a way, but yet I'm also outraged by it because I can't believe how much food costs now because I'm still thinking like it's 1999 or 1989, really. And guess what? Yes, you do turn into your parents, unfortunately. So... That is the truth. It's like back when I first started shopping at the New York City green markets when I was in college and the apples were like 75 cents a pound and now they're like 275 a pound and that seems outrageous to me. But I know rationally and intellectually that those farmers are just charging what they need to charge. But it's almost three decades later and I still want my 40 cents a slice pizza or even my dollar a slice pizza, which is what it was in 1989. And I know rationally also that the U.S. has the cheapest food in the world as a percentage of our income, and that it's because we subsidize commodity agriculture and industrialized food and all that stuff, blah, 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 that I talk about here all the time, but there's no escaping your genetics. That's the first place I'm going, my first point. The second place I'm going is that I am built like a pear. A smaller pear, certainly, now, but still pear-like. And that's why those skinny little stick figure Jordache jeans never would have fit me. But that's okay with me because I like being a pear now, and I love pears. I'm not built like an apple, and while I also love apples, I feel the need to boost the pear as I've decided it is my spirit animal fruit. A bit of a leap there? A literary stretch, perhaps? Yes, but this is my show. I own the poetic license for it, and I will explain more about that shortly after we take our first break.
0: You are listening to Never in Love by Four Lincolns. Hey, my name is Betsy Andrews, executive editor of Severa Magazine, and I am hanging out at the coolest, most delicious place in the world, Radio Network.org.
1: Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food here on Heritage Radio Network, which is apparently the coolest place in the world, according to Betsy Andrews. I think so, too, having been one of the founding original show hosts, I can say, even though I grew up wearing tough skins. I'm very cool. I don't know about that. Anyway, so did you know that I write articles, two articles a month for something called NUMI? N-U-M-I, NUMI? You know what NUMI is? NUMI is the website and blog for Nutrisystem. Yes, I know Nutrisystem, but you know what? Even though a program like Nutrisystem ostensibly contradicts everything I've been screaming about here on Heritage Radio for five years, they've actually been working really hard to change all that. And they're really trying to get their clients to eat real food and learn to cook real food to help them control their weight. So I totally support that. So no judging, please, people. But anyway... I was hired last summer by Numi to shoot cooking videos for them, which I did, and they are on the website, and you can go watch them for fun. And then they asked me to write for them for pay. Yeah. Pay. Which is more than I get from a certain other very large, very well known website that I also write for <coughs> Huffington Post. <coughs> Plus, Numi lets me write about whatever I want. Literally, I can send them two articles on anything food-related every month, and they're like, thanks, here's a check. So, I love them. So, yesterday, I was finishing up my submission for them for September, one article on lentils and the other on pears, of course. Now, pears are really the underdog, the forgotten stepchildren of the fall-winter fruit lineup. Oh, this, by the way, is why my second point in the first segment was about pears, being pear-shaped, just case you just joined us so pears are they are they're really like they're just the forgot i'm amazed american pear growers still even bother because americans on average eat only three pounds of pears per person per year three pounds so that means that basically nobody is eating any pears because adam my husband and i eat at least i don't know 20 pounds each per year so We're the ones eating all the pears and skewing the stats. And there's like a bazillion people who don't eat a single pear at all every year. We both love pears. And not just because I'm shaped like one. And not just because Let's Get Real's logo is a beautiful silhouetted pear with a knife sticking in it. But because they're delicious and luscious and fragrant and so underrepresented in the fruit pantheon. It's not like Americans are eating all that much other fruit either because we only average 0.8 cups of fruit a day, less than a cup of fruit a day, and that's like a half a banana or like one little nectarine. Bananas, by the way, which are now the most widely eaten fruit in the U.S., but we, in comparison, we eat about 16 pounds of apples each per person per year. Which may sound like a lot, but it actually works out to like maybe one apple every two weeks per person. It's no wonder the lexative market is still doing so well. And that's pretty lame. One apple per person every two weeks. And bananas and berries have taken over Apple's former number one spot. But don't get too attached to your bananas, though, people, because there's a banana blight attacking the Cavendish variety of banana, which is basically the only one that's grown and the only one we eat here in the U.S., and all the Cavendish banana trees are dying of a blight. In a couple more years, there's not going to be any more bananas. So you know what? Maybe you should like think about pears or something. So our collective fruit eating as, as a team, as a country, is pretty minimal. Even though we grow massive amounts of fruit here in the U.S., a huge amount of that fruit is actually exported to other countries. And a big whole shitload of it is processed, of course, because that's what we do best here. We process perfectly good real food into foodiness and also into just plain old junk. We can't just eat it as it is. We have to process the crap out of it and then sell it back to ourselves in the form of processed shit. Now, back in my tough-skins-wearing past, every arriving autumn meant that it was time to go apple-picking. So we'd load up the Dodge Aspen Station Wagon, which is on the list of the top 10 worst cars ever made, by the way. Good job there, Bernie and Rita Wides. And head out to the east end of Long Island, which was still heavily agricultural agricultural back then, mostly with sod farms and potato farms, but also with peach vineyards and strawberries and apple orchards. No, it's a peach orchard, not a peach vineyard. Peach and apple orchards. Strawberries fields. The vineyards, the grape vineyards, were also kind of starting to take root, (laughs) starting to grow, but it would be like another 10 years before the wine industry really developed. And, you know, I was like nine, so I wasn't drinking wine yet. That would start like four years later in junior high. Anyway, we'd pick peaches in the summer, and then we'd go back for apples in the fall. And while we were out there, we'd pick up some pumpkins and some decorative gourds and some dried Indian corn. Sorry, Native American corn. And we would drive back home. We'd load up the car. And then the apples were stored downstairs in our cold, smelly downstairs utility room slash bathroom, also known as the pickle room, which I have discussed on the show. And made into pies and applesauce and all kinds of stuff. Or just eaten raw all winter because they would keep. Because they're a cold weather crop. You put them in cold storage, they keep. That's the beauty of the apple. Now, knowing my cheap-ass parents, and do you notice how I call them cheap, but I call myself thrifty? Yeah. We wouldn't have schlepped all the way out there, burned the gas, and schlepped all the way home. Even though we lived pretty far out on Long Island, it was still like another 40-mile drive out there to the orchards. If those apples weren't super low priced, I mean, the idea behind you pick places is that you pay a lower price per pound for the fruit and it saves the farmer the cost of labor, right? Aren't you doing the farmer a favor? So the you pick stuff should ostensibly be cheaper than the pre-picked stuff, right? And that's how it was. Back then which is why we would go out there and we would load up because it was cheap. And I know it was cheaper to farm back then things were cheaper, but you know what? still like something something's not right. So for a few years, in the kind of mid to late 2000s, Adam and I would go with some friends every year to a you pick you pick' apple place in Westchester County up near where Tiny bungalow is. and we'd pick like a half bushel or so every fall. But then things started to get crazy because you couldn't even get into the apple picking place anymore because the lines were so long and the price per pound to pick the apples was higher than the price per pound to buy the pre-picked apples. WTF is up with that. So we stopped doing that. Plus, it was more apples than even the two of us big fruit eaters could manage to get through in one winter. And... I'm sure it's because that farm was the only one left in the entire county of Westchester that still did you pick. And it had a captive affluent audience and the property taxes on that farm must have been sick. And farming is petroleum dependent and I get it and labor and I get it, I get it, I get it. But I'm not going to do it anymore. 40 cents a slice. Are they serious? You would think from that line, to just get into the farm, that people would be eating fruit like crazy. That's why they were lined up, because people can't get enough fruit. We need fruit, and we have to pick it ourselves. But no, not really. Maybe they're eating fruit foodiness in the form of squeezy fruit pouches or fruity yogurts or fruit roll-ups or fruit by the foot, or dried strawberry-flavored fruit bits and cereal or in pre-sliced bagged apple dipper served with caramel because if stuff isn't sweetened to sickening levels, people, and not just kids, won't eat it. I think that's what's really being eaten. Those people lining up to pick the apples, I'm not really sure what they were going to do with them. Although they were mostly like, you know, rich white people in Westchester who kind of know better and do eat real fruit. Why do we need to process the shit out of our food, especially our fruit, instead of just eating the fruit. Why am I even bothering asking that question anymore? Are you getting sick of it? I'm getting sick of it. It's the same question I ask every week. Why do I still get so upset and so worked up by all of this? Let's just take a break and everybody can just calm down and I will try to relax and we'll get back to this topic very shortly. We'll be right back.
0: listening to America by Four Lincolns. Hello, this is Mark Ladner from Del Posto and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network.
1: Oh, hi. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Weitz. I was expecting Mark Ladner to say a few more words than that. Oh, God. You know, he's kind of famous. Anyway, back to pears. Remember the pears from the first part of the show? Yeah. So I was thinking about pears a lot yesterday as I was writing my article, you know, for NUMI, Nutrisystem. Don't judge. And you remember a couple of episodes when I was talking about eggplant because a few episodes ago it was summer and I was eating eggplant all of a sudden now it's fall. I was talking about how eggplant seems to as have seems to have escaped foodinessization. It's like the only foodiness free vegetable. I mean, you never see like eggplant flavored veggie booty puffs, do you or eggplant smoothie drinks at Jamba, right? You don't. Well, pears are probably the least foodiness-ized fruit of the fruits. I mean, does Jamba do any pear drinks? I don't know. I don't go in there. I don't drink juice. That's why I was a fat kid, because I drank juice. I don't drink juice anymore. I mean, other than, like, baby food purees, I can't really think of any pear foodiness products out there. I mean, I've never seen, like, pear pie yogurt or pear-flavored sports drinks or pear-flavored anything, really, at Except for juicy pear-flavored Jelly Belly jelly beans, which aren't foodiness. They're just candy. There's a difference. And nobody is stupid enough to think that there's any fruit in them. Is there? I mean, people aren't eating pear-flavored jelly beans in order to get their daily fruit requirements. Although I have seen children eating, Welch's fruit snacks with their parents, encouraging them because you got to eat fruit, which is pretty fucked up. But anyway... I love Jelly Belly, Jelly Beans, by the way, and I love pears, but I hate pear-flavored Jelly Belly, Jelly Beans, because they taste like tannic, unripe Bartlett pear skin to me. They got it all wrong. They're too green. They're too vegetal. They're just wrong, as opposed to the, or in contrast to the Jelly Belly pink grapefruit flavor, which I think is their best one, FYI, and Jelly Belly, hello, let's talk, um sponsorship, I'm plugging your product here. And also my birthday's coming up. But pears seem to have evaded the foodiness of fruit so far. I mean, Kellogg's hasn't made like a pear-flavored cereal yet like Apple Jacks, right? They haven't made Pear Jacks or Pear and Oat Nugget Crunch or Chex Pear Juice flavor or Honey Bunches of Pear Chips or Pear Bran, Captain Pear, Pearberry Crunch, Perio's. I don't think I've seen any of those yet. Although I did see Pumpkin Spice O's at Trader Joe's last week. So, so far, I think we're safe from that craptastic array of food. And maybe the pear, I don't know, like maybe I didn't know this. I didn't learn it in my research. But maybe the pear has like special protected status in the U.S. Like the bald eagle or the giant sequoia. And it makes it immune all that stuff. I don't know. And back in the eggplant show, I'm sure you will recall, I was also talking about the Roosevelts, FDR and Teddy and Eleanor, the Roosevelts, and how incredibly uncorrupted they were. The like the least corrupt two presidents and wife like in presidential and wife history in comparison to their presidential predecessors and successors who were all quite corrupt. And how focused on the quality of life for the common working person they were and in helping the poor and for, like, sort of elevating everybody up, not just the wealthy, like, you know, for real with, like, the New Deal and the WPA and the National Park System and everything and, you know, everything that Eleanor Roosevelt did for women and all that stuff. And, of course, after having just sat through the very long seven-part documentary series on them on PBS... And then thinking a lot about eggplant, I did come to the conclusion that eggplant was the Teddy Roosevelt of vegetables, which is what that episode was about. Because it's never been foodinessized or corrupted like so many other vegetables. It's never been puffed into booty or flattened into a chip or processed in any way. And now, well, come to think of it, I think that pears, pears are the Jimmy Carter of fruit kind of misunderstood, maybe came along before his time, needed much better marketing, didn't really know how to spin. Pears are the same way, overshadowed by their flashier Apple cousins. I mean, look who was before Jimmy Carter. Nixon and all his flashy impeachment glory. See right there, peaches. After him, Reagan and all his glittery 80s wealth. Poor Jimmy Carter. Not as instantly or easily accessible more subtle, more complicated. Jimmy Carter, who coincidentally was president during the designer jeans era. Although he too was probably appalled by them. We were big Carter supporters in our house back then. We kept our thermostat at 55. We would put on a sweater instead like he said to do. I shivered in my tough skins all winter for four long years because of Jimmy. All I know is if you're not a pear lover, You're missing out. But pears require patience. They are not for the iPhone-era instant gratification crowd. Apples are for Instagram. Pears are more for, like, Kodachrome. You got to wait for it to be ready. It's not ready till it's ready. And, well, you can grab any old apple off of any store shelf or out of any market basket, and it's ready. You can assume it's ripe and ready to eat, and it's better in its fresher state. Pears need a few days to relax, to ripen, to fully develop their potential. I think most people think that they don't like them because all they've ever eaten are unripe bad pears. Like in like the fruit basket you get at Christmas or in the hospital or in a sad bowl of fruit on a hotel buffet line. Pears are like wine. They need time. Out of the fridge at ambient temperatures, just sitting quietly contemplatively becoming who they are in their own way in their own time like me in my nameless jeans my no-name brandless gap jeans quietly molding tiny wedges of play-doh into cheese and whittling old crayons into carrots and reading my laura ingalls wilder books and practicing violin and carrying on that internal dialogue i had with laura while all the other girls in town were sashaying around in their sassoons and buying plastic crap for their Barbie dream houses. I actually turned out okay, though, I think. Pear-shaped, but pretty good. So if you don't want to eat fruitiness shit, and you don't want to fall into that trap, and you do want to take the time to really appreciate the pear, and you understand now that Jimmy Carter was just a man ahead of his time, You need to keep tuning in to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food here on Heritage Radio Network. And also, you should read my Huffington Post pieces because they're really good and really funny. And you should follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. And that's all for today. Thanks to Liz in the control room sitting in for Jack. Thanks to, what's his name, Ben Kaplan, who wrote my theme music. And uh, this is episode 110. Wow. It's been a long time. We'll see you next week.